God, we ask that you continue to pour out your spirit upon us, guide and direct the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, that they may be acceptable in your sight now and always. And Lord, uh, this is a difficult topic, so help us not to uh, close down as soon as we hear something we may not agree with, but instead push through, uh, trusting that uh, you will help us to discern a way forward together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start out real quick uh, with a little bit of a, a way to maybe think about, um, as a Christian, how to think about things uh, like science. And um, as United Methodists, we come from a tradition um, of the Wesleyan, uh, of John Wesley. And, and um, a gentleman named Albert Outler a while back came up with an idea that he looked at John Wesley and the way he kind of looked at Things and he came up with this thing that's known as the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which includes uh, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Meaning uh, that uh, scripture should be the primary way that we look at things, questions of life, and, and things related to the world. But then we should also look at tradition, that tradition that's been handed down to us throughout the generations um, from what people have learned, where they have, have developed um, ideas, things like the Trinity. Uh, you know, that was something that's not necessarily directly in the Bible, uh, but yet it was something that the church decided was helpful for us because it helped make it clear that we were indeed monotheists, that we weren't uh, polytheists who believed in multiple gods, but we believed in God, one God, but who demonstrated himself in the person of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's just an example of using things that have been passed down to us through tradition. Uh, then our experience, the ways that we experience both God uh, in the world, but also the way um, God has uh, helped us to see things. And then the last one, reason, meaning, you know, when you look at things, does that seem reasonable or not? You know, God has get, made us into reasonable, rational people for a reason. He didn't want us to check our brains at the door or when you pick up your Bible that all other uh, things just vanish away and the only thing that matters is what's in there. No, God didn't want that to happen. God wants us to use all of who we are, all of who he has created us to be as we attempt to uh, learn and, and grow in our faith and our also understanding of science. So that's something just to keep in mind. I think where we get into a lot of trouble a lot of the time is in relation to pseudo-religion and pseudo-science. Well, people who are serious about either hate both. They hate pseudo-science if you're a scientist, and if you're a theologian, you hate pseudo-religion too. Because it makes everybody's job hard. It makes everybody's job difficult. It puts up walls and barriers. It creates animosity between people who there should be none. But yet, we like to do that, don't we? We like to use things when we have one sense of something in our mind, and then we're confronted with something that is different. We want to reject it because none of us like to change. Well, the church isn't any different uh, over history. There's been a lot of times where the church has been in error in its thinking and has done things uh, that were not uh, in line with what God would want for uh, his creation, but yet we have had, have stuck to it. Um, I'm going to start with a real quick little side note, and that's about uh, the environment. That last passage, uh, Nick read you two passages, and the second one is from Genesis 128, 
And that said, God blessed them and, get, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And this word have dominion has gotten us into a lot of problems. Because have dominion can be taken in multiple ways. If you read the rest of the story, you uh, recognize that when God is talking about having dominion, he is meaning having stewardship over. Being a good stewardship of the creation that God has entrusted to us. But sometimes we read have dominion as we lord over it with an iron fist and we do whatever we want because we're in charge of it all. Well, no, God is in charge of it all. We need to always remember that fact. And then we have been entrusted with care of creation, not just for care of creation's sake, but also for the sake of all humanity because we rely on things like water and air to survive, to carry on. Um, and unfortunately, when those things are degraded, um, it disproportionately affects people who God has said he cares for very much, and that is the poor. Um, that's who lives in places where there is lead in the paint in the walls, and that's who lives in places where there's lead in the drinking water. It's people who can't afford to live other places where those things are not a problem. So we have to be careful and recognize some of those realities. So that's a aside, but it's a clear thing. So a lot of you have questions about our absence in creation care. Well, we should not be absent as we look into creation care and environmentalism. We should care about things like climate change and things of that nature and pollution and, and uh, you know, reducing our footprint in the world. And uh, so that is an admirable pursuit for Christians. And so those of you who are involved in that work, you are doing the work of God in that room. Those of you who do not see it as important need to remember that God has made us stewards, not uh, overlords to use creation however we so choose. All right, now on to what we're going to talk about. Uh, the, other, the other questions that you all had, but I didn't want to short... Uh, short that, the folks that asked about um, creation care, uh, but I also don't want you to be here until kickoff of the football game. Uh, I promise you I'll get you out of here before then. It's at 1 o'clock, by the way, so you got to go. Well, so for several years, several centuries, in fact, there was never any disagreement or any real tension between scientists, philosophers, and theologians because they really did see themselves as partners in the pursuit of truth. They saw that each had something to offer, something to give, and they recognized that, you know, we do things in different ways. We have different ways of seeing things, and we have different questions that we are asking and trying to answer, and that's okay. But um, God has made us with rational minds. Uh, somebody told me when I did that sermon on hate the other day that I, I, I neglected to mention one special category that God would surely allow us to hate, and that was Patriots fans. Um, and I would say perhaps here with rational minds, you might also go with, except for Patriots fans, but uh, neither here nor there. Hopefully the... Uh, Kansas City Chiefs will give them all that they need today uh, to change their ways. But anyway, um, but because we have rational minds, we want to figure things out, don't we? You know, that's a natural thing. We have a desire to want to learn and to grow in our understanding. 
And now this desire to understand includes both the observable, physical, uh, or natural world, which is the realm of silence, silence of science, but I also believe it includes the supernatural world, where we gain insights into larger questions of why we are here, what is the meaning of life, and should we, uh, how should we morally live in it. Theology, in fact, was once called the queen of the sciences. Because many understood this interplay between the natural and, sub and supernatural realms of knowing, and they appreciated the, the, the discoveries uh, and the learning that came from both. The first major event, though, that began to break down this, uh, come, you know, this, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Where they got along with each other uh, was with Copernicus in the early 1500s. Uh, the prevailing thought at the time was that this little ball right here was the center of the universe and everything rotated around it, that it was set, it was stuck, it wasn't moving, and everything went around it. That's what people believed. Aristotle held that view, and he, they kind of said, yeah, it makes sense, sure, we got it. And part of this understanding came from literal interpretations of passages in the Bible, like Psalm 93.1, which says, the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. So they thought literally this, just like this. I just moved it, I know, so I just messed up the whole theory. But the reality is that this thing is stuck here, and where it is, is where it is, and it does not move. Okay? That's what they thought that scripture meant. Or Ecclesiastes 1, 5. There's several other scriptures that talk about the earth not moving. Okay, so that's just one example. Or Ecclesiastes 1, 5, which says the sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. So in other words, um, the sun goes whoop, and then it goes whoop, and comes back. Whoop, and goes back. It's like this. And you just sit still. That's what they really thought. And up until this point, there was no science to refute this Earth-centered universe way of understanding. Until 1543, and Copernicus published his thinking that the Earth was not the center of the universe, and in fact, it was revolving around the sun. And for the most part, the church was like, yeah, interesting. Well then, you know, he goes on, and then after his death, someone else picks it up named Galileo, and he starts... Um, thinking about this more and more. In 1615, Galileo, though, was brought up on charges in front of the Inquisition by the church. Why? Because some people started bringing up these passages of Scripture that said, what he is teaching is contrary to Scripture. And if you're preaching something contrary to Scripture, it's a heresy. And what a heresy is, just for those who don't know what a heresy is, a heresy is basically when you say something that, that the church believes, believes is incorrect, that is not a heresy. That is a mistake. Then they bring you up on charges and they say, we think what you're preaching is heretical. And you say, eh, I don't really care. Now it's a heresy because you've been told that you're incorrect. And you say, I don't care. And you keep on doing it. Then you become a heretic. It becomes a heresy. And during the Inquisition, oftentimes you were put to death. So Galileo was not stupid. So he said, yeah, okay, 
you know, in front of the Inquisition, all right, I'll, I'll stop publishing on this, I'll stop talking about it. And for about 10 years he did. Um, he stopped. Well, then his friend, who became Urban VIII, was elected pope. Well, this pope had been very supportive of Galileo and his understanding, and they had talked about it many times. And so he thought all of a sudden he was kind of emboldened, so he went back and started saying again that the earth was not the center of the universe. In fact, the sun was, and we rotated around it, and we were moving, and he used his telescope to help understand these things. And then in 1933, the Grand Inquisition, he was brought again before them, convicted again, he recanted, but he was placed under house arrest for the rest of his life because of this thinking that now we know is completely accurate. The biggest mistake, though, from this event, looking back, was not that the church was mistaken on the point that the earth, because we know that the earth now is not the center of the universe, and the earth does, in fact, revolve around the sun. The biggest mistake was in the understanding of what type of book the Bible is meant to be. Because there was science, but we were saying, no, the scripture says that everything's stuck and it's not moving. It will not move, so it must be that it does not move. God is the primary subject of scripture and God inspired the people who wrote the words. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Through the words of scripture, many truths about who we are, why we are here, and how we should relate to one another are made clear in its pages. That I do not refute. But the Bible is not a science book, and it is not intended to be a science book, just like it is not a mathematics book. Just do the math of eternity, like I said. One plus one equals three. You know, it's only play, or one plus one plus one equals one in the trinity. So, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So math is suspended. So the reality is there's a lot of things um, that, but math, but the Bible is not a science book. It's not a math book. It's a history book in a certain sense, but not complete. Our scripture reading from Genesis 2 this morning makes that quite clear. And I know for some of you the very fact that there is a second creation story is news to you, I know. Well, Genesis 1, while it is more familiar, uh, neither of these stories is meant to be interpreted as a scientific account of creation. First of all, there are several... Uh, discrepancies uh, between the two accounts, and both cannot be true if we read the Bible literally. Uh, in Genesis 2, for instance, God created man before vegetation, while in Genesis 1, God created man in three days, or created man three days after he created vegetation. In Genesis 2, God also speaks of creation in one day versus over six days in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, man and woman are simultaneously created in the image of God. While in Genesis, Genesis 2, man is created first out of the dust of the earth, and then women are created. The Genesis accounts of creation may well have been an accurate view of the science in a pre-scientific world of 3,000 years ago. But Genesis teaches, uh, teaches things like that our planet form its atmosphere developed, and even the trees and plants grew before the sun was created. We know all of those things are not true. 
And while it might have made sense back then, we know that the gravitational pull of the sun made possible the formation of the planet. We know the sun was pivotal in the creation of the atmosphere. We know sunlight is required for photosynthesis, which allows for plant life to grow. The Bible is not meant to be a science book. But for me, I, I never thought it was. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't look to the Bible to be a science book for me. And I know some people do. And I know that's why they get in fights and arguments and about lose their mind about this. It's because they want it to be something that it is not. You know, Adam Hamilton points out uh, something I thought was pretty good. He said, now God could have said with this book, I want to make sure they get all the science right. That's the most important thing to me, God saying that. But I think God likes to let us learn and discover and grow over a series of years. And as we continue to seek the fullness of truth, we get to delight in each new discovery. Wow, that sounds like a pretty cool way to look at it. Because couldn't God have made it a science book if God wanted it to be a science book? Of course. But maybe God does delight in his creation, learning and growing in seeing the world in new ways. The Genesis 1 account of creation is important, but it is important because it holds theological truths. There is a God. God is good and glorious. Creation is good. We are created man and woman, made in God's image. Life is a gift, and God is the rightful ruler over all things. That is what Genesis teaches us about. God knew that someday we would figure out that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. Uh, but to correct the cosmology is not the important thing to God in giving us the scriptures. What God wanted to correct was their theology of who we are as humans, who God is, and where all creation is headed, our telos, are where we're headed in the end. God wanted to teach us big truths. You know, another one of the controversies that has come up recently, and I mentioned earlier, is this young earth creationist business that says you know, the earth is somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 years old because if you do a bunch of creative mathematics of all the genealogies in the Bible, that's the number you come up with. But does this, as we talked about the quadrilateral, does this seem reasonable to us? Especially if you know anything of the geological record which says that the earth is somewhere between 4.4 and 4.5 billion years old. Or women, if you're wearing wedding or engagement rings that have a diamond in them, you know how long those take to create? 1 million to 1, excuse me, 1 billion to 1.3 billion years. And yet there they are on your finger. It doesn't make any sense to me to say that the Bible with the genealogy was attempting to put together a timeline of creation. But yet that is what some people doing pseudoscience have done. And then they start calling it things like creation science. And that's why scientists get upset because there it is again where we're doing bad theology and bad science. And we put them together and we've got really bad stuff that comes out. And why? You're not stupid. This is America. We like to make money. So uh, anyway, um, 
the creation of New York brings in a lot of money, uh, is what I'm getting at. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but it's not necessarily based on the Bible. And um, that's where we get ourselves so much into trouble and so many arguments. Uh, because then we move into other things like the theory of evolution, Charles Dar Darwin in 1859, when he first put that forward, or Belgian priest George uh, Lamatra's Big Bang Theory, first introduced in 1923, where he theorized that the universe began from a single primordial atom or molecule. Uh, these have all become points of contention between science and some people of faith. But part of it is that we, we don't understand that we're kind of working in different realms somewhat. Uh, you know, science is about um, observation. It's about running tests and experiments. It's about hypotheses. Um, and it's always open to the fact that they might be wrong. I know there's a few scientists out there who want to argue that they're never wrong about anything, but the whole idea of the scientific method is that there's always potential that some down, way down the line there may be another discovery that refutes what you've come up with, and therefore they're always theories and hypotheses. They're not uh, laws. They're not turned into things that are 100% uh, sure because there's always room that they could be wrong. And I think sometimes as people of faith, we need to also keep maybe a little looser grip on some of the things that we think are so tightly held. Uh, that are so much part of it that maybe we should hold those a little looser and let God's Spirit work in the midst of the realms that we are part of. Also, science focuses on the physical realm or the natural world, and we focus on, um, as Christians, as people of faith, and uh, we focus on things like uh, the supernatural, which there's no place in science for supernatural events. And that's okay, because it's, that's not what they're studying. But we are looking at other things. I'm looking at bigger questions, and that's what God is trying to is trying to convey to us, I think, through Scripture and also through our experience uh, with Him, because that is a beautiful thing. We know that we can experience God. You know, this morning as I looked out my back window, uh, it was actually light this morning. Usually it's dark when I leave to come to church, but today it wasn't today. And there was, you know, I can you all know how the science behind ice and water and all that stuff. But as I looked out, I saw the ice on the trees. There was something more beautiful there than I can explain just with the science. Well, that's that supernatural component. That's the component that is different, the part that we can't fully grasp uh, with only the uh, scientific understandings. Uh, theology and philosophy, you know, look at ultimate questions. The nature of morality, the nature of the soul, life after death, why we were created, and the meaning behind creation. Science studies the physical world, experiments, collecting data, and they want to know the mechanics behind creation, or mechanics of creation. Not behind, of creation. But we have to be careful, because for hundreds of years, the church has pushed people away, thinking people away, uh, and made them think that science and religion are incompatible with each other. And I recognize some scientists have pushed beyond the realm of science, beyond its bounds, and attempted to remove religion completely from our thinking. But religion and science 
are meant to work together. Um, they have things that they can offer to, uh, both can offer to one another. Uh, and I want to just give you a little example. I mentioned about you know looking at the looking at the the ice out on the, my porch and just seeing the beauty of that. But also think about the piano right over there, the piano Deb's sitting at. I know people that wanted to study, scientists wanted to study the piano. Uh, they would begin to explain its mechanical structure. They would talk about, you know, sound engineers could explain to you how the way the hammer strikes uh, the strings, and that creates vibrations which produce sound waves that then travel to your ears, that then your uh, go into your eardrums, and all this other stuff that I don't even get into. It's a big long process you all know. But and we can figure that all out. We know how that all works. That is an explanation of music, but it really doesn't get to the full understanding of music. Like, just play a little something there. I mean, is just the mechanical, is just the scientific description of the piano fully grasp that? You know, how much poorer would we be if the, we only had scientific understandings? There's far more that we need to know than formulas of how sound waves work to, to create beautiful music. You know, religion looks to science for help because some discoveries do move us farther in our knowledge of ultimate truth, but science alone will never be able to be fully satisfying to our human longings for understanding. So I can I can ramble on for another hour, and I've got all kinds of great information tidbits here. But I think you guys are probably you're looking a little glazed over, and uh, so I probably said as much as I need to say. Uh, my main point is this: as Christians, please do not check your brain at the door. You know, recognize um, the Bible has a very important place in our faith and in our world. But it doesn't have to supersede things uh, in the scientific world um, when we know that, that there's no conflict um, between them, really. It's just in our interpretation of a certain scripture or, you know, saying that creation happened in seven, 24, six, 24-hour days. Like that somehow matters. I mean... God is the creator. That I am 100% sure. And science always is wondering about a first cause. It's always wondering, well, what created this? Even in the Big Bang, what created that one atom? And I know there's some people that argue, they say, well, you know, the, the order of, the, of, of things in the world is a great you know, defense for God, saying, you know, how could everything that's so complex come out uh, if God wasn't even more complex than that? And that's the argument for God. But then some people say, well, if it started with the Big Bang with this one molecule, that's super small. And then it went out from there, so it didn't start with something complex. It started with something simple. But again, we're not talking about just the natural. We're talking about the supernatural world. We're talking about God who we have seen revealed ultimately in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has come into the world to save us. 
who has come into the world to help us understand how we can uh, love one another. Now, that's hard to measure scientifically. That we're to seek justice and peace, those are hard to measure scientifically. You know, why do you, does your heart go out to people um, when they're in distress? 